Hello and welcome to a special episode of Zeus Plug. This week we're not speaking about the latest episode of Doctor Who from on TV. Instead, we're speaking to Sergeant Benton himself, John Levine, recently here in New Zealand at the Armageddon Expo. Enjoy. John Levine, welcome to New Zealand. Well, it's a joy to be here, John. Is it first time? Uh, no, the second. I was here six years ago with Bill. Excellent. And uh, how's it been? I mean, it's very, very cold and raining in I'm Wellington. I'm an Englishman. <laughs> I know all about rain and cold. In fact, we are professionals at it. Fantastic. Uh, I love it. I, I heard the weather forecast today. They said it's going to be muggy, followed by chuggy, weggy, thurgy and fraggy. No, no. Obviously, I love New Zealand because everyone wants to be here. And also, my son lives here. Oh, fantastic. My son is the lighting director at the big theatre in North Palmerston, or Palmerston North. Excellent. Have you got to Palmerston North yet? I am going tomorrow morning to see my son, who I haven't seen for 15 years. Wow. My two grandchildren, who I had never seen. Wow. Scarlet Rose and Joshua. I am so excited, I can hardly contain myself. Now, do remember, when we English and we Americans come over here to your tiny island, keeping in mind, of course, that I lived in Jersey and the Channel Islands for three years, mm. and uh, that, that's only as big as this stadium. <laughs> um, and by the way, I asked the lady that worked with me yesterday um, how many seats. I believe there are about 34,500 seats. That's a lot of seats, isn't mm. it? And is this the All Blacks? Um, is this the All Black? Stadium or, or, or this is this is where they play. Oh my God! Yeah. I met the I met the, the, the head chap six years ago, oh, who, really? the captain of the All Blacks, um, Richie McCoy. Richie McCoy. He was in our hotel. Oh really? And I just went up and said, I just wanted to shake the hand of you know the world champion. Uh, the world champion. <laughs> and you can feel, you know, it's funny when you like you've touched him, and you can almost feel he was the world champion. Yeah. Anyway. fifty years ago. I was just looking back at the dates on this. 50 years ago, you'd just been a Cyberman in the yes, moon base. Yes. You're about to be a Yeti yes. in the web of fear. Yes. Your Doctor Who career had started. I mean, yes. it, sort of start, it, started, it started small. It started without seeing your face. Yes. And then suddenly, Benton's on screen a year later. Yes. How, how did it all come about? Well, I can tell you the absolute truth now. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, I've never been a commercial money-making man. I've never made money, and I, I know most of you know that when we were in Doctor Who, I only earned 90 pounds an episode back in those days. So I just want you to know that I'm not talking from a financial standpoint. In fact, most of us are quite broke. I mean, I live on my pension now. Um, but what happened in truth is, uh, the book, by the way, that I'd love you all to buy, I, I, I didn't write it, but I certainly contributed one-third of the information in it. It's by an author named Michael, Mike, Michael Seeley, S-W-E-L-E-Y, and it's called Directed by Douglas Camfield. Now, you, all you Doctor Who fans out there, you will have heard the name Douglas Camfield. He was the most highly regarded director of the whole of the BBC. And people used to worship just the image of the, the, the brain and the creative uh, stance that he took. And he's the one that when he came on board, I hadn't noticed, but I've always been, not a strange lad, but I, I've always gone against the grain, not because I'm different, but the grain never interested me, drinking and boozing and shouting and going out and doing everything. So I ended up trying to learn as much as I could, given that I had no education. I was a very sick child back in 1941. I had a rare blood disease until I was 11 years old. So I missed five years of my education, didn't know my alphabet till I was 29 years old, and I couldn't read maps because I didn't know where the letters went. Now, 
Now, when an actor says that, you kind of think, well, that's a bit strange. I mean, if you're an actor, you should be able to read. Well, what happened is I was just a young lad at that time, and the Cyberman thing came up, and I remember my agent, Jimmy Garrett, phoning me up and saying, John, have you ever been a Cyberman? <laughs> and I felt like saying the truth, you silly bugger, of course I haven't, you know. Anyway, that happened, and unbeknown to me, the director of that, I believe it was Invasion, uh, the first Cyberman, the director of that was Douglas Camfield. And the interesting thing is, all of you, whether you're young or old listening to this, first of all, thank you uh, for loving our show. Uh, when you think about the energy and the professionalism and the work that went into making this tiny science fiction show, uh, we are so glad that you've received it with such grace and, and, can, and candor. So what happened is, unbeknown to me, because I'm never, I've never pushed forward, I would have been a big star, to be honest. Um, uh, John Pertwee, uh, I nearly got James Bond uh, back in the day, and I nearly got some big stuff in Hollywood. But I don't have that leading man mentality. I'm not, I'm not a go-getter, uh, and that's why I've never made lots of money. Uh, I don't mind that. I'm not, I'm not apologising for it, but I just want you to know where I'm coming from because it makes a whole difference. So then, of course, the Yeti, uh, the Yeti, I believe, was first, and then the Cyberman. I'm not quite sure, of course. But one day, I'm standing there minding my own business, which is what I often did, and this man, this man named Douglas Camfield, this huge director of, of BBC, uh, I do stand-up comedy, and I say the moment he met me, he fell all over me. I was kissing his feet at the time. <laughs> anyway, he came up and he said, you're John Woods, aren't you? Now, remember, my, my real name is John Anthony Woods. When I went to join Equity, I'm just going off on a bit of a tangent here, when I went to join Equity, because somebody said, you sh should, John, you've got a great face, and with your size and everything, you may do quite well in, in show business. So um, I went to join Equity, and it was a closed shop. And you know, I'm, I'm sure you know what that means. It means that there were so many actors in Equity that they had to stop any more coming in, mm -hmm. otherwise the disparity would be too much. So I go in, and uh, again, I like to explain why I do these things and why I talk to you like this. I've always been polite to ladies. Um, somebody once said to me that next to God, we are indebted to women, first for life itself and then for making life worth having. So I've always had this high regard for ladies, and I've always treated them absolutely as I believed I should. So I went in, and this young lady was in the office, and you know, she said, good morning, can I help you? I said, yes, I'm, 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 I've been offered several parts of, in acting. Uh, in those days, it was Zed Cars and Softly Softly. And I said, I'm, I'm not a member of Equity, but could I, could I join, given that I've been offered some work? She said, well, the truth is, you really ought to have done the work before you get Equity, and then you have to have two producers or two directors to validate or verify that you are who you are. So anyway, um, I've always been a, 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 not a charmer. I mean, I've always treated people nicely, and I've always been very polite. And you'll understand why I'm explaining all this now. So anyway, I said to her, well, okay, well, bless your heart. Um, have you any idea how long the clothes shop would be? Um, she said, it was six to nine months. And I thought, gosh, well, that means, well, I won't be able to do these shows. So she said, well, I'll tell you what. You've been so polite. You made me laugh. And I'll tell you what I'll do. You're going to have to be quick. My boss will be back in ten minutes. I'll let you fill out the card. I'll put it at the bottom of the pile. In about six months, you'll get your equity ticket. I said, you do that for me, and you don't even know me. Well, I think I can read people pretty well, and I don't think you're a liar, sir. And indeed, I'm not. So this what, is where what, it all began. Was it the John Wood charisma? This is, well, I, well I, the truth is, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I know people, I, people either love me or hate me. Um, people like me are either loved or hated because they're either jealous. There's a lot of professional jealousy in our business. I've learned to sing, juggle, stand-up comedy. People that can't do anything. Why do people put other people down when they are useless themselves? How cruel and stupid people are. Mm -hmm. And these bastards that do that, 
It just makes me, just makes me mad. Anyway, so she said, okay, well, what's your name? Let's get the card down. So she had the card, and I remember it this day, I can see it. She said, okay, what's your name? I said, well, I'm John Anthony Woods, born, but I thought I'd call myself John, John A. Woods, trying to make a slide. She said, oh, hang on, went through the, went through the big equity book. There's already a John Woods, a John Wood, a famous Shakespearean actor. I said, you're joking. I said, all right, well, because it was the 60s, I said, well, how about Anthony John? My two surnames. She went through, there was an Anthony Johns. I said, all right, my God, and she said, my boss. I said, John Anthony. There were two John Anthony, one John Anthony and one John Anthony's. And I said, oh, my love, then, then, if I may use English words, I said, well, then we're buggered. I'm lost, I can't get the part. I wasn't angry, I wasn't put out. Now, this was when the office was in Harley Street. And for those of you people that haven't traveled around and not been to London, Harley Street is one of the most expensive streets in London next to Savile Row. It's where all the top uh, um, surgeons are for plastic surgery. And mm. everyone all across the world mm. comes to go there. Next to, opposite the building, as I said goodbye to this young lady, and she said, I'm so sorry, John, because she obviously knew my first name by then. I'm so sorry, but listen, maybe come back in six months. So as I'm walking down the steps out of the office, I looked across at the other side of the road and there was a sign that said, Harry Levine, boxing promoter. I ran back in and said, John Levine. She said, we don't have a John Levine. Now, here's the irony of all that. When I next started to work with Douglas Camfield, who you may or may not know, he made me, I was, he was, my, I was his protege. He was backing me all the way. I was going to be in everything he did. Now, I didn't know that. How would someone as mild as me in those days would have had any idea that he saw me as one of the great actors of our time? Mm. I mean, the truth is, I never would have been and I never was the greatest actor. I had a great character and I played Benton beautifully because really, Benton was me in a uniform. Mm. Anyway, long story short, the next time I meet Douglas, he books me for a part, a speaking part. Now I'm an actor. So suddenly he came up to me and said, John, the only thing that disappoints me about you the reason I love your look so much is you're so, you're the last Anglo-Saxon. Because, you know, in my country, we go back to the Anglo-Saxon. Blue eyes, fair hair, although I've dyed mine at the moment. <laughs> Try and look a little younger. And anyway, he said, but anyway, long story short, I ended up as John Levine. And as you know, the rest is history. Fabulous. So um, we'll get on to sort of the unit family and, and, and working with John Pertwee in a moment. But I thought it'd be interesting to know from the, from the start and the end of your time in Doctor Who, what it was like working with Pat Troughton and Tom Baker, two very different actors. Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm on record as saying, uh, when I joined the show, I was about a year with Pat Trout, and the reason Pat and Fraser got on with me is because they love my sense of humour, and indeed I love Fraser. He's a very good comedian. Um, I don't know what endeared me to the crew. I still do believe it's my comedy. I do believe it was my comedy. Um, anyway, long story short, I loved working with Pat. Invasion was a great story, and we did it at St Paul's Cathedral. But then, of course, uh, John Pertwee took over, and... Um, Whilst I love Pat, I never dreamt I'd ever work with someone as magnificent as John Pertwee. Not only because he was the royal family's favourite comedian, but he'd made a show called Wurzel Gummidge, which, mm. which tore the hearts out of everybody in, in many lands. In fact, I believe he came to New Zealand to do a few, I'm not mm. sure. But um, John Pertwee I spent five years with, and John was just a dream. He was my surrogate father. He knew my father beat me when I was a child. He knew my whole family put me down and didn't want me to do anything. So he became very defensive on my behalf, and he took me under his wing. Was John Pertwee on the screen? 
as, as the Doctor. Is that very similar to John Pertwee off-screen? Were they sort of oh, very similar? Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely the same. I mean, the, the, the wonderfulness of the man, the six-foot-five of the man, the mm. beautiful long hair of the man, the, 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 the talent of the man, mm. all the voices of the man. And then, as I said, the, 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 he liked me so much, he made me his personal friend, and I drove into all the cabarets, all the supermarket openings. We did. We spent almost 24 hours a day together, mm. and it made my life. I can't tell you the confidence that man gave me. Mm. So John Pertwee was just the ultimate dream and I'm going to be honest with you I couldn't bear working with Tom Baker and nor could most other people what does that I, tell you I, I won't ask any more questions <laughs> let's jump back to the to the to the unit years and just really interested to know you know that unit family thing everyone sort of talks about it it's the big the big sort of heart of the Pertwee years of, of Doctor Who what was it like what was sort of the, the the routine of the family you've got all these amazing people in it what what if you, you get your scripts to the story how, what happens what's the what's the what, how did it work you you uh, your scripts arrive in a big brown manila envelope and every time it comes through the door your heart beats you want to go to the toilet because you think this could be the big one this could be more exciting than the last one so what happens is the first thing you do is you turn over the second page to see the cast list now i was used to being number five and once i began to speak so it was john uh, roger delgado nicholas corning katie manning and john levine when I started saying words, I wasn't very good at speaking in the beginning because I didn't have any, as I said, any, any trust in my own ability. Um, the family started, to be quite frank, it started with John, Katie and myself. I picked John up. I lived in a place called Putney where the boat race between uh, Cambridge and Oxford takes place. And um, John lived in Barnes, which is quite frankly an upscale place where minimum house is a million dollars. So I used to get the bus to John's house and then he used to let me drive his very expensive sports car, the only human being on earth that he would let drive. And do you know why he let me do it? To give me confidence because he knew my father had broken me. This man was, uh, was sent from heaven, I'm telling you. So, long story short, it became a family because we then go to Chiswick and pick Katie up. So I'd be driving in the summer in John's coupe, and there's him and Katie in the back doing their lines because they had more dialogue. And people used to look, and I sat and driving his car so proud. We'd draw, draw into the BBC rehearsal rooms. We'd go in, Roger Delgado would be there. He was my second best friend. He'd be fight, he had a, a nail fetish. He had to file his nails every day and clean them. And we'd go in, and they had a, we had a standing, running gag because I loved movies, and I thought I could recognize a good movie. There were times when I'd come in and say, everybody, you've got to watch there's something on tonight. You're absolutely going to, of course, they'd all come in the next day and say, Levine, it was the worst movie we've ever... And so I ended up, they loved me because I made them do it, and then we... we so... It, it ended up that once, once we got the rehearsal going and Roger and Katie and myself and, and, and Nick, Nick Courtney, in all fairness, was not involved in the family off screen. On the screen he was. As soon as we finished, he was gone to be drinking. So all in all, the family uh, was all-encompassing insofar as the image on screen, I have to admit, was magic. Uh, the Demons was the best of all. I think the showcase, I mean, that was my best part. I actually felt like a real actor. And I could have, been done, I could have done James Bond then, but of course it was too late, I missed it. But um, yeah... And the whole thing was, was, was like a dream because you can't believe it's you. I used to wake up in the morning and think, God, I'll be with John in half an hour. But so all in all, it ended up, we were so close and so friendly, it must have emanated from the screen. Mm. And I think that's what attracted people because we had the biggest viewing figures of all time. Did you know when, it was, when, when the time was up for, the, for that sort of unit family? Because a couple of years, wasn't it, where it was like you're pretty much every story and then it sort of... It began to fade. Yeah. Well, we, you know, uh, obviously since then we've heard from producers uh, you know, saying that there comes a point when you can't keep using unit and they wanted to get back in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the re- only reason they came back in uh, down on Earth from space is because the sets are so much cheaper to make than, mm-hmm. than outer space stories. Um, yes, the only thing is, as all actors will tell you, they never tell you when your day is over. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you find out you're not in it anymore and you wake up that next day and think, what? 
why didn't you tell me? Why didn't somebody say, you know? Mm. But that, that's show business. I think they, they don't tell you because I think they think you're going to cause trouble in the studio. What do you mean I'm fired? How dare you? Uh, but listen, I did seven years on and off, and my God, I can tell you all now, no matter whether you're five, six, 30 or 40 listening to this, this man, John Levine, who was made, I was made by John Pertwee and Barry Letts, uh, plus the fact that several other people in my life have been so contributory to making me the man I am today. Benton himself is actually a bit of an enigma because you don't know a lot about him. Like, I was, I was, I was looking on Wikipedia about what could I find out about Sergeant Benton that I don't really know. He's got a sister. Yes. He doesn't have a first name. They don't give him a first name at all until later when it's his first name. When it's John. John, yeah. Um, So I'm just interested, given that he's such an enigma, um, how much of John... Levine was in Benton. I think I'm sorry, I keep forgetting you're recording your voice. Um, Well, again, I have to do the explanation first. Because I had no training as an actor, no voice lessons, no stage work, no nothing, I was just a menswear salesman in Regent Street. And then I ended up as a walk-on. So I obviously learned things listening to all the actors as a walk-on. But the reason I think Benton was kept so secret, or, or his past was, that I think they wanted me to be a bit of an enigma, to go along with a fantasy of a science fiction show. Mm. But what I love is, I mean, evidently I had a girlfriend... Uh, no, I was taking my sister dancing in one of the shows, I remember. And, and don't be late, I remember saying. But yeah, I never had a girlfriend in the show. I, I, I think Nick Courtney, the brigadier, had a... Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the name of the lady they gave him. It was one of those... I want to say Doris. Yeah, Doris is most likely it. But yeah, so really, I don't know why they didn't fill me out, but I didn't really need it because you had so many stars on the show. Mm. You had enough with John, Katie, Roger and Nick Mm. that I was just, you know, I was... I think they like me because I wore a uniform well and I did all my own stunts, remember? Mm. Can you imagine letting someone else do your stunts? No way in the world. I don't think health and safety now, uh, really. Well, no, well, I nearly, I mean, I nearly, I could have broken my back in the demons when the chap, I, I, it's my fault. I told him to do the one where you put your feet on my stomach and throw me over. I nearly hit one of the um, stone things and it would have torn my back apart. Well. I damaged my hand and my back in the scene in the pub. When they hit me and I went back on the bar, there'd been an ashtray on there and I'd fallen and hurt my spine. Mm. And the irony is I'm standing there in agony and the director came down and said, John, I want to tell you, that fight scene was so perfect. You, <laughs> you looked as though you were really damaged. And I thought, you cheeky bugger, I am damaged. So uh, that was a lovely part of it. Did you, random question, but did you keep any mementos? Did you go, quite like that, might just accidentally put them in my pocket and leave it? No, because stealing, which is what it, which it would have been. No. One thing I did do, and I've just sold it by auction, and I don't mind sharing it to you. When I did The Web of Fear, my mother had come up from Salisbury in Wiltshire to see the studio. And you, I don't know whether you remember, but I was the leading Yeti, the one with the, the shotgun and the beat and killed everybody, which I'm, I love killing people. And in there was what they call a Yeti mechanoid, or mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think it was a mechanoid. They were about five inches high, and there were only three of them made, Plaster of Paris. Well, as we were leaving the studio after all that, and my, the old, the Jap that was sweeping up the studio, because they used to throw all the artifacts away because mm. they were so cheap. And as we were walking out, the, the bloke came up and said, oh, we love your son here. He makes us laugh and he gets us a cup of tea when he's not working. And I thought, oh, how lovely that he would bother to say that to my mum, which means my mum would know that I'm doing well. Anyway, as we're leaving, he's sweeping up, and in his rubbish bin, in his big spade, is two of these yetis. And it's just going to be thrown in the bin. So he looked over and he said to my mum, Mrs Woods, why don't you take this as your son played a yeti and it's a yeti model why don't you take it so she took it she put it in her curio cabinet back in 1961 
Come forward to 2006, when I took my then wife over to Salisbury, saw the Yeti in the back of the cabinet and said, oh my God, mum, you still got it. Now, on the bottom, she'd written, my son John was Yeti in Web of 1961. So that made it precious. So when I became a bit of a movie maker with my 4HD camera, I said to my mum, can I take it? Because I want to take it to the hills of Burbank. I live in the hills of Burbank. Not, we rented, we didn't buy. I couldn't live a million dollars. And we shot a whole movie around it, and we've, we've called it Target Benton. Where is Benton now? Where is he now? What's he doing? Well, I'd like to think he's not the used car salesman <laughs> that the stupid people said. I'd like to think that I was an advisor of fabulous military tactics or a, a humanitarian-based um, organization that would help children and women. I'm, I'm very concerned that so many women and children get hurt in this world these days. And as you know, there's, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. And I've just heard about the terrorist attack in London, funny enough. It's getting bad. It's getting, England's going to... We're, we're in for it now. But anyway, that was it. I think Benton would have been something quite nice having spent all those years fighting all those aliens, he would have been an advisor of some kind. Mm. Hopefully he would be um, as nice a person as you, John. Well, it's been such an absolute pleasure to finally meet you and to talk to you today and again enjoy your rest of your time in New Zealand. John, thank you very much indeed. God bless you all and may your own particular God go with you.